Hello, and welcome to the weekly podcast of C2 Church in Columbia, Missouri. Being an unstoppable church and being people of unstoppable faith. And part of that is being unleashed for the gospel. Uh, what does that mean? We've, we've talked several times over this summer about being unleashed in, in, in several different areas. Most recently, we've talked about unity. Being unleashed, uh, being unstoppable means a, a church that walks in unity. Last week, we talked about conflict and, and be, taking up someone's fence or being offended. Some of you remember the illustration from last week. Thank you to all those who came up to me afterwards and said, Pastor, I'm offended. <laughs> I loved it. It was good. I love your sense of humor. So we find ourselves in the book of Acts, and this is where the whole thought of unstoppable began for us several weeks ago at the beginning of summer, was this idea of the church being unleashed, becoming unstoppable because of the power of the Holy Spirit working in their lives. We started at the end of the book of of Luke, and then we dove into the book of Acts as we see Jesus leaving this mission for his followers and then empowering them to do the mission. And as we've explored several different passages, I found myself going back this week looking through sort of this process of the mission. And I found myself rereading the scriptures in Acts chapter 3, where Peter and John, they've just had this sort of amazing experience of the day of Pentecost, where the believers were filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit. Peter delivers this gospel message to a crowd of people, and several thousand become believers that day. We see the formation of the the church here in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 3, it's sort of back to things as normal. But if you, if you are a follower of Christ, perhaps you've had this experience that you, when you commit your life to Christ, there is no normal. Nothing is normal. Again, at least it shouldn't be. And Peter and John, I think, have this feeling that things are going to go back to normal. In fact, at the beginning of Acts chapter 3, they're going about their normal routine. It simply says one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. They were just doing the thing that they normally did. This is what they did. They went to the temple. They went on with things as normal. But things were anything but normal. There is no ordinary day for those who are empowered by the Spirit of God. I don't know if that's how you look at things, but I believe that there shouldn't be an ordinary day. And I know there is. I know there are days that things just kind of just go. Nothing special about it. But for Peter and John, they have this moment here in Acts chapter 3 where a a crippled beggar sitting outside the temple gates says, I need silver and gold. Give me some money. He's shaking the tin can. And they look at him and they say, we don't have silver or gold. The wallet's empty. There's no checks in the checkbook, right? Right? Because if there's checks in the checkbook, there's obviously money in the account, right? But they run into a crippled beggar, and they simply say to him, look, we don't have anything of value except for Jesus. We don't have anything. Silver and gold, we don't have. But what we do have, we will give to you. 
And they simply say to him, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Simple words. An ordinary day where something extraordinary happens. In this moment, a simple, simple proclamation of the name of Jesus against the need this man had. Surely he had need of silver and gold, but they recognized his need was more than that. His situation called for a miracle. He needed to walk. Silver and gold would just perpetuate his existence, but a miracle would be life-giving. And in this moment, they recognized, empowered by the Holy Spirit, they said, hey, look, we could give you silver or gold, but let us give you something that's of greater value, and that is the person of Jesus. And so in that name, get up and walk. Here we start to see the unstoppable mission at work. The believer walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, seeing and hearing and acting according to the Spirit. And you begin to follow this story. Peter and John are called to account by the religious people for healing in the name of Jesus. They're arrested. If you begin to follow that story, they have to stand to account for this healing. So they're arrested for healing, for doing something good. It's kind of odd, don't you think? But in Acts chapter 4, I want you to turn in your scriptures with me to Acts chapter 4. If you have your uh, electronic device of some sort, you can uh, turn on your version app and click on the live link. It'll take you to our notes as well. Acts chapter 4, here's their account. Starting in verse 1, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John because it was evening. They put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. That's, that's a pretty incredible number. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and, and so were Caiaphas. These were guys you recognize from the gospel stories of the arrest and trial of Jesus. John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family, they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? An interesting line of questioning, don't you think? By what power or by what name did you do this? Referring to this healing. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, and which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could 
see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? Everybody living in Jerusalem knows what they have done and they've done these outstanding miracles and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn the men not to speak. They begin to tell them that they cannot speak any more about Jesus. That question, by what power and by what name did you do this thing? I wonder if it could be asked of our own lives that people look at our lives and say, by what power, by what name are you living an unstoppable life? Is there something going on in our life that people look at us and say, what is this thing? Where is this power coming from? They began to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there were miracles and healings. When we talk about an unstoppable mission, let's remind ourselves what this is. Jesus, at the end of Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, he says, go into all the world and make disciples. This is the mission given to us, the church, to go into all the world, share Jesus, make disciples. I think I've been confused at times because I look at the mission and then I think cause. It's a cause. We rally people around it and then we just do our thing. And if you have enough people, then the cause must be successful enough. And for us, I think the church at times has lost its connection to the mission. We feel that if we build a a crowd of largely bored adults on a Sunday morning for an hour and a half, we've pretty much accomplished the mission, right? I just called you largely bored. I don't know that you're either large or bored. I apologize. But that's what we see the mission as. Well, I go to church every Sunday, so I'm accomplishing the mission. No, you're not. You just get to hear an incredibly talented speaker once a week. I get it. It's a privilege. I understand. But the mission was to preach and to build disciples. And I know I hear the word preach, and I think about one thing, same thing you're probably thinking right now, the guy up here. The guy who talks too fast and too loud sometimes, and his jokes aren't always funny. But in this context, the word preach had, had little to do with a stage or a personality. It had everything to do with the proclamation of life-changing power of the person, of an individual. In your context, preaching will look different than preaching for me. Perhaps you find yourself sitting next to someone in school and you simply are sharing life with them. And in that, you have conversations about all sorts of things. And when they share a need with you, when they share a struggle with you, in that moment, you have an opportunity to share in their struggle and preach Christ simply by giving them hope and sharing your story. You publicly proclaim and earnestly advocate hope in Jesus Christ that he is the answer, and you back that up with your life. 
Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Yet these men find themselves arrested. Was Jesus' cause somehow sidetracked because a couple of the disciples got arrested? Jesus is up in heaven wringing his hands. Oh, dear God, I didn't think about the fact that they might get arrested for this. Now it's all gone. Oh, Jesus' plan is not foiled. When you look at the Old Testament, you begin to read through it, you sort of get this idea that God operates not on a whim or capriciously, but he actually operates from some sort of plan. It, it makes sense. And so we see in the New Testament that God is operating according to the plan, and the mission is unstoppable according to God and his plan. The disciples being arrested does not foil this because they're not serving a cause. They're serving a person. That's important to understand about the mission of God is it's about a person. The mission is not a cause, although it seems like that and there's nothing wrong with that. But for you and me, the mission must start with the person of Jesus Christ. It must start there. It's about him, and it's about his name. This is the line of questioning that the religious people brought Peter and John up to. Under what power? Under whose name? What name are you doing this by? And they say, it's by Jesus. And I've spent the last couple days reading through Acts, looking at how many times the name of Jesus is referenced. To have faith in the name of Jesus to be saved by the name of Jesus, to be healed in the name of Jesus, miracles performed in the name of Jesus. This seems to me their mission, the name of Jesus. At the end of chapter 4, the believers, having seen Peter and John miraculously released, they are praying together. And they simply pray at the end of chapter 4, They pray this prayer in verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats, the threats of the religious people, and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I wonder if we made that our prayer. Lord, consider all the threats around me, threats to my comfort, threats to my security, And enable me to speak your word with great boldness. Do you notice something missing in their prayer? Jesus, just be with me. Have you ever prayed that prayer? God, just be with me. God says, uh, I'm kind of confused. I've been doing that already. I'm always with you. What are you asking me to do actually? You've never, okay, I've prayed that prayer several times. Lord, if you would just be with me today, he's already with you. What are you actually asking him to do? So some of us, Lord, keep me safe today. Good prayer, nothing wrong with that. But aren't we asking God to do things that he might already be actively doing in your life if you're following him? I like this prayer. Lord, you know all the threats. You know, kind of know all the things kind of around me that are coming against me. 
And Lord, I don't pray for safety or security. I don't pray for any of those things. I don't pray for my comfort. I simply pray that you would give me great boldness to live my life for you. Have you prayed that prayer? Could you make that your prayer? And then follow it up with this. Lord, stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus Christ. What if you begin to carry that mission with you to speak the words of God boldly? What does that look like? To bring a word of encouragement to somebody at work. The disciples lived a life. I think sometimes we look at the book of Acts and the Gospels in general, and instead of seeing ordinary people, we see this as like a highlight reel, like the top 10 of Sports Center, right? And this is like the top 10 of spiritual people, and this is a highlight reel. But the Acts of the disciples, which is why this book is called Acts, is a recording of ordinary people who did extraordinary things through the power of the name of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So they prayed for continued boldness to speak the word and to do miracles. And it says in that moment, the place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And so then what do they do? They continue on. They continue the journey. They continue on with their ordinary days, praying for extraordinary things. Oftentimes when we go on missions trips, I will challenge our student missionaries and our adult leaders. Let's pray for divine encounters. Let's pray for divine appointments. I challenge you, each day when you wake up, say, Lord, give me a divine encounter today to share hope in you with someone today. Right? Pray for that divine moment, whether it's the, the girl at the checkout counter at High V, wherever it might be. Say, God, give me spiritual eyes and spiritual ears to know in that moment, give me divine encounters. Give me these divine moments like the crippled beggar. Give me these opportunities and then look and act. And so with the disciples, they continue on. In chapter five, we see that. They continue with the healings and they continue preaching and teaching the gospel, forgiveness and salvation found in Jesus Christ. The extraordinary things to them became the ordinary. We see miracles and healings as, as an occurrence that happens every now and again, a rarity, an exception. But when you be, begin to read the book of Acts, you see that believers begin to see healings and miracles as an everyday occurrence. Do we believe that our God still heals? Four of us, all right. Does he perform miracles? The trouble with it sometimes is when we ask and don't see, we think it means he's not able. And I've had to learn to teach myself that faith isn't seeing the answer, it's trusting Jesus the first time I ask and the hundredth time I ask. And so I keep asking and I keep believing. And when you begin to see those things happen in your life, the extraordinary then becomes ordinary. But we can't get to that part where they're ordinary until we take that extraordinary step of faith and begin to pray in that manner. 
In chapter 5, as they're going about their business, the disciples are arrested again. Keep in mind, they're arrested for Jesus. I just I want to make sure that we understand that they're not just being arrested for, you know. So they're arrested because they didn't listen to the religious leaders in the first place. They disobeyed, civil disobedience. They began, again, to continue, rather, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in this time that they're arrested again, in chapter 5, the angel comes and releases them in the middle of the night, and he tells them, go out and preach the full message of this new life. They were released for a purpose, to continue to share the gospel of Jesus, and so that's what they do. The religious leaders come back that morning, and they go to the jail cells, and Peter and John are nowhere to be found, and there uh, comes a report, hey, those dudes you arrested last night and put in jail, they're actually out here doing what you told them not to do, the reason you put them in jail. I look at it this way, Peter and John were put in jail, it saved them a trip to go back, they didn't have to go, they were already there. See, sometimes God puts obstacles in your way just to make life easier for you, you're just looking at it wrong. So they get arrested just so they're conveniently located where God wanted them to preach in the first place. Just trust God. What you think is an obstacle might be the very thing that God needs to do in your life, so you're in the right location at the right time to do the right thing. Write that down. Somebody tweet that right now. (laughs) So in this moment, the religious people are trying to figure out what to do with them. And they're arguing back and forth, and there actually becomes a division amongst the, the religious elite here in this moment. And there's a man called Gamaliel. He's an unlikely ally because he's respected by just about everyone. He is a teacher of the law. He's a Pharisee. He's one of these religious guys. And he stands and says this, and I think this is very applicable to our talk about unstoppable, being unstoppable and the unstoppable mission. Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 38, he says, he's referring to uh, he's basically saying Peter and John are just like all these other guys who've come before, declaring them, themselves the Messiah, that they have some sort of message, and they all fade away. And he says in verse 38, Therefore, in this case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. That's a nice way of saying they beat them. Then they ordered them to speak, not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, which is the the religious crowd, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, capital N. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Gamaliel says, hey, if these dudes are just doing their own business, it's going to fail. But if it's from God, it's unstoppable. It won't matter what you do. I know in my life, there are times where things have fallen apart. And I've had to come to understand, you know what? That might not have been from God. But I also know there are things that God has called me to do that though I might face some persecution, some pushback, if it's from God, nothing can stop me. 
do you walk with such faith? That what God has called you to do means you're unstoppable. That he is truly empowering you to do exactly what he's called you to do. He hasn't left you out there to struggle alone. We talked several weeks ago about this idea of momentum. Mass plus velocity equals momentum. And I think if it's Jesus and you and that's it, that's okay. That's a lot of mass. You and God, that's all you need. And then you add some speed with direction, you begin to move in the name of Jesus and see things that are extraordinary. And that's the name of Jesus. Jesus is the mission. I want to give you a couple things that we see through the end of uh, our time together in chapters 6 and 7 and 8 of Acts that I think help us put the unstoppable mission in perspective. If Jesus is the mission, I think there are some things we can look to expect. We can expect persecution. That's the first thing. As you begin to read through the book of Acts, you see that persecution sort of becomes ordinary for the disciples and followers of Christ. I like how the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians, Philippians 121, puts it. He says, to live, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's this idea, to live, Christ is my everything. Like the song we sang this morning. If I get to live, then Christ. I get to proclaim him, I get to live out the cause of Christ, and if I die, that's gain because I get to go to heaven. Nana, nana, boo, boo. <laughs> right? There's a, there's a scripture that says, what do I need to be afraid of? What can man do to me? I don't know if you've ever found yourself being controlled by fear of other people. You know, I know we look at like middle schoolers and high schoolers and say, oh, they're so controlled by what other people think. But you do the same thing, don't you? How many of you this morning got up and asked somebody, uh, how do I look? Because you care about what other pe- people think. And that's okay. You should. We love when you smell good and when you dress nice. It's totally okay. But the scripture says, what can man do to me? What can man really do to you? Worst thing, they kill you and send you to heaven. Right? It it kind of puts it in perspective, right? What can man do to me? Now, understand, not all of our sufferings are persecutions, right? I I hear American Christians say oftentimes that their sufferings, oh, I'm being persecuted. Someone disagreed with me. I'm being persecuted. I understand we have this fight in our country right now for religious freedom. Totally get it. I think America, like Ronald Reagan said, the last bastion of freedom. If it goes here, then the world is in trouble. I I get it. But let's not confuse actual persecution with a little bit of pushback on the religious establishment in America. Look at the old school church. They thrived under persecution. America has not had persecution of Christians really in how many hundreds of years? And the church has nearly died out. Puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Now, China, on the other hand, the church is thriving in the underground through persecution. Not all of our suffering is persecution, and not all, all persecution is suffering. 
Well, how can you say that, Pastor Jeremy? I look at what the Apostle Paul says. I look at the reaction of these men who say they counted it, they counted it themselves privileged to having suffered for the name of Jesus. I just like that they call it the name. They don't even add Jesus to it because they're like, duh, what other name is there? They, they counted themselves privileged for having suffered for the name of Jesus. The Apostle Paul in Philippians wrote, I want to know Christ and I, don't want, I want to know him. I want the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. There truly is something opened up to us in the spiritual realm when we suffer because Jesus suffered. And in the, that time, we have a connection with Jesus. And so in the name of Jesus, you can expect persecution. We see as we move through in, in further into Acts, into 7 and 8, that this man named Stephen, he's kind of this volunteer. And he is doing miracles and he's preaching the gospel. He's a volunteer leader at the local church. And then he suffers persecution. You know what happens to Stephen? He begins to proclaim the gospel and they didn't like it. And so they decided to stone him. So Stephen got stoned and not in the Colorado kind of stoned. If you know what I'm saying, they actually hit him with rocks until he died. And he wasn't at the level of the apostles. He was just a volunteer guy. And some of you are volunteering at VBS this week. I'm pretty sure you won't get stoned with rocks and things like that. I'm just saying. There will be lots of children. You might get hit by something, but I'm pretty sure it won't be rocks. But in this moment of persecution, if you read the story on in to chapter 8, the church actually thrives in this moment because the church is scattered. Right at the beginning of chapter 8, it says this, verse 1, which would be at the beginning of chapter 8, right? We start with 1. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. Verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. It's because of persecution that the word of God gets spread. And so in this moment, empowered by the Holy Spirit, it's not the apostles, it's everyone else. It's all these other people, the no-namers, that are taking the gospel throughout the world. And I see them, the second thing, they receive power. What we see in Acts is the normal Christian life. It's not the highlight reel. And I see in them the power in prayer. They're asking for, for healing. They're speaking healing. There's a, there seems to be a debate when you pray for healing if you should ask God for healing or just command it. I, I don't know. I think you can do both. Be bold and just say, cancer, be gone in the name of Jesus. Or you can say, God, this person needs healing. You have the power to do it. Amen. There's boldness in the prayers for healings. We're talking about this mission and how do you live it out when you're at work, when you're at school, when, when you're with other people and you see them in need. Five powerful words. Hold up five. Go, come on, give me five right here. Five powerful words. Can I pray with you? Can I pray with you? What's the worst they can say? No. And you, you walk away and say, okay but I'm going to pray for you at home secretly. <laughs> you won't even know it. 
can I pray with you? There is a psychological benefit to that person immediately because they know you care. Whether they believe in prayer or not, I tell you, in my, in my experience, in my life, I've gotten to pray with atheists. I, I remember one time uh, standing with my friend Nick. He's a homosexual. He was hurting. And I said, Nick, can I pray with you? Nick and I believe totally different about a lot of things. We both love rock climbing. And so that's how I know him. And I said, Nick, can I pray with you? And he said, yes. I put my hand on his shoulder and I prayed a simple prayer for him. Can I pray with you? What a simple way to demonstrate the love of Christ. It doesn't alleviate, alleviate our need to do work. When someone's in need to, to give them something or to do something, but those five simple words open so many doors. Can I pray with you? The second part of that power is to preach. Again, it's not to stand and scream out all sorts of things that you believe. It's simply to live out all that you believe. Does that make sense? Simply to live it out. Peter and John did it, filled with the Holy Spirit. Stephen did it in chapter 8. Philip, in the following chapter, proclaimed the Messiah wherever he went. All of these people, empowered by the Holy Spirit with boldness and courage. So I ask you, church, how are you sharing your story? What Christ has done in your life? What have you heard and seen in your life? Are you sharing it with others? And the final thing is to participate, the participation the name of Jesus and that mission, there is an act of participation. I like what Second Peter 1, 3, and 4 says. His divine power has given us everything we need for, God, for godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through th- these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. We get to participate in God's divine nature. That's a great promise. That the, the, the life you're called to live as a Christian, you weren't meant to do it on your own. Following the rules, right? And that's oftentimes what we see Christianity as. Well, if I just follow the rules, then I'll please God. No, no, you already please God. And that should be your motivation to follow him and obey him. You're already accepted. You don't follow the rules to be accepted. You already are accepted by God. And so you walk accordingly to that acceptance. And we get to participate in the divine nature of God. His, the very power that raised Christ from dead, the dead, that same spirit that lives within us, means we get to participate in healing and in miracles and in the process of salvation. I know it's not me who saves people, but I get to be part of that process. And if you're a Christian, you get to be part of that process. So I'm asking you, are you part of that process? Who are you praying for? I'm praying for, for three families in my life that I don't, they don't go to church anywhere. I don't know that they're connected to Christ anywhere in any place in their life. And I'm praying for them. What about you? Maybe you can count off three coworkers or five families or a couple family members? Are you praying for them on a daily basis and saying, Lord, help me share 
faith in you. Use me in the process of salvation. And what about people you work with, people at school who might have a, a need, something they need a miracle for, something they need healing for? Can I pray with you? Can I pray with you? You're simply carrying on the unstoppable mission of the person of Jesus. Remember, this is all about a person. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're hearing this talk about Christianity. And the perception, again, is it's a cause. It's about a person, Jesus. He came from heaven to earth. I know it sounds like I'm about to start a song. To show the way. And he died on a cross for me, for you, for our sins. Because we could never meet the standard of perfection that's demanded by God and his perfect nature. And so what did God do? Instead of demanding perfection from us, he gave Jesus so that we could meet that standard. And because of Jesus, we have right standing with God. And I don't know where you stand with God this morning. Perhaps you feel far away. That you could never please him. And that all your sins have sort of stacked up against you, making it impossible to kind of level it out on the scales of justice. But the great thing about what Jesus did, he tips the scales. He's enough for you. He's enough for me. All the, all the things that you know separate you and all the things you don't know that are separating you are taken away in that moment when you say, Jesus, you're all I need. Come into my life. Church, would you close your eyes and, and bow your head in this moment of reverence? And let me just ask you this question. If that's you this morning and you feel far from God, why is it that you feel that? Jesus is standing in this place this morning calling your name, giving you the opportunity that each one of us, many of us have taken. We've taken that free gift of life found only in Jesus. Would you take that this morning? All around this room, I want you to answer that question to yourself. If you're far from Jesus, this morning is your opportunity to come to Jesus, to God through Jesus. With nobody looking around, if that's you this morning, I just want to pray with you a simple prayer that many of us have prayed before. Would you simply just raise your hand? No one's looking around. It's just you and me right now. Raise your hand. I want to pray with you. And we're going to start that new relationship. Thank you. Anybody else? You can put your hand down once you raise it. Thank you. Anybody else? If that's you this morning, you need Jesus. Last opportunity, and we're going to pray. Then church, with all those who raised their hand this morning, we're going to declare again that prayer of salvation in our own lives and stand with those who for the first time are making that declaration. Would you repeat after me out loud? Dear Jesus, I invite you into my life. I ask for you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my life and help me to live for you. Thank you for your salvation. Amen. Amen. It's, uh, I'm so 
honor to lead people in that prayer. And church, you can do that. You can lead people to Jesus. And I'm so thankful that you're doing that in your lives because the mission of the church, it matters. It matters to this world. Hey, we are so glad you listened in. If you made a decision to follow Christ today or would like more information about a deeper relationship with Christ, we would love to hear from you. Simply email nextsteps at c2church.com. 